This is Beyond Busy. I'm Graham Alcott. I'm the author of a number of books, including the global bestseller, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And I'm the founder of Think Productive. We work with some of the world's leading companies to help people get stuff done, but more importantly, to help people to make space for what matters. Beyond Busy is where I explore the often messy truths and contradictory relationships around topics like work-life balance, happiness and success, and explore with interesting people what makes them tick. In short, this is where we ask the bigger questions about work. My guest today is Hayley Watts. She is a productivity ninja at my company, Think Productive, and she's my co-author for the book, How to Fix Meetings. She's a mum, a coach, and also has a background as a leader in the charity sector, where she gained a lot of experience with meetings, both good and bad. In this episode, we talk about productivity, obviously, and how she helps people to change their work habits for the better. And of course, we delve into what's broken with meetings and how you can fix them. This is Hayley Watts. I'm with Hayley Watts. How are you? Hi, I'm good, Graham. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So we were talking before we pressed record about how sometimes it's, for some reason, more nerve-wracking doing podcasts with people that you know than it is with people that you don't know. I don't quite know why that is. Uh, but we know each other very well, um, having been colleagues for a number of years, and then having probably had about the closest working relationship you can ever have with somebody else, which is to be a co-author with somebody, right? Where you have to kind of live inside someone's brain for a little bit. Um, so we're going to talk about how to fix meetings, but let's let's start a bit more at the beginning. So sure. how long have you been working with Think Productive now? How many years is it? Oh, just over six years. Six years. And um, what? And so your work as a productivity ninja, you're going into companies, go, working with our clients and helping them to have a better impact and be clearer and be uh, better and do their best work. Um, what do you enjoy about that work? Good question. I think the, the thing I really enjoy about it is just seeing things change for people. You know, our work is quite practical, isn't it? You know, we go in, um, we deliver some, some thoughts and ideas about how people can change their working habits and practices, but we actually get them to implement that on the day. Um, and it's like you can sometimes see this penny dropping moment where people are like, oh, that's how it's going to be easier. Um, and just seeing that change for somebody is yeah. is just brilliant. Yeah. And we first met a really long time ago when I was in my first ever job. Yeah. Um, as uh, and we were both we were both project managers with a project called Millennium Volunteers, weren't we? Going back very many years, and then you ended up um, running the the volunteer centre in Camden, yeah, um, and various other things. So, um, what drew you to to working with Think Productive, um, having started in charities? Because it feels like feels like we've actually had a very similar work history in that we sense. have yeah very similar um so I think when I was working um I was the CEO at the volunteer center um and I was there for quite a while I was there for about nine years um a membership organization so lots of you know wanting to respond to members and and do things well and represent all those organizations and people coming to us looking to to volunteer so small team I guess like most charities more work than there is people to get it done yeah so I felt very overwhelmed very overloaded with my work and that was partly um 
like email was the thing that was like, oh, I said to my chair, like, really need to sort this email thing out. And we had a conversation about you know, getting you or Think Productive to come in and do the email course with us. So I was really nervous about you seeing my inbox, thinking, oh my God, this is really embarrassing. Um, and I had nowhere near as, as many emails as I perhaps thought I did. But it, it felt really stressful and it, yeah. it felt overwhelming. Every time I opened up my inbox, I had a mild sense of panic of like, oh my God, there's going to be all this work there that I'm not going to get time to do. So that really helped me. Um, it really helped the rest of the team. And this was before you'd written your first book, How to Be Productive. Yeah, Teenager. right. Yeah. Um, so I went away and decided I was going to learn more about this productivity stuff. And one of my trustees at the time was was really into it and recommended some reading for me. And I went and got the book out of the library. And then I took it back after three weeks, having not read it. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is really bad. <laughs> and that was a bit of a, a moment where I was like, I really need to get my head into this stuff because the email has really helped me changing my working practices and my behaviors around that. Work feels less stressful. I feel a yeah. bit more in control. I need to apply this logic to all the rest of my work. So I went off and learned about it implemented like loads of stuff um a few of the productivity books that i'd read um and it, it helped hugely um it, it gave me confidence that like yeah what i'm working on at any point in time is the right thing to be putting my energy and my attention into and it all started to feel so much better um yeah but i couldn't get the rest of my team to do it so i could see <laughs> they were having the same problems but yeah that's how oh, this is just like what Haley's on about again at the moment um, so one of the other productivity ninjas, Matthew, came in and did um, a one-day workshop with the whole team. Um, and then I think we had a conversation afterwards. You're like, hey, Matthew says you're really into all this productivity stuff. Why don't you come and join us as a ninja? Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, so two things just to pick up on from there. One is, and this is always reassuring for people to hear, is that even the person who wrote How to Be a Productivity Ninja. In my first ever job, I was late to a time management course. Like that literally <laughs> happened. That literally happened to me. I had to go to London to do this time management thing and I was just I was just late. Um so that happened. But the second thing is that what you described there is something I think is really interesting about the work that we do, which is that often it's not you don't you don't get less stressed because you've ticked everything off your to-do list and it's all done you get less stressed and you feel more in control and everything makes more sense just because you change your relationship with that stuff right so a lot of productivity is not even actually about the things that you get done it's about having the most appropriate relationship with that stuff right and right. Like our and relationship to information to is the is is really what it's all about Absolutely. And if somebody had have said to me, oh, what you need is some, you know, you need to do some work on how you organize yourself and your productivity. I might have been quite rude to them about yeah, that. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm yeah. very organized. Yeah. You know, um, but actually, it's that changing that relationship mm. and, and moving away from the expectation of everything is going to get done. Actually, the, you know, the most impactful things need to get done and the rest, some of it will and some of it won't. And yeah, that's okay because sure. we're, we're just human beings and we can't do everything. Indeed. And it's quite, you know, it's quite sort of <laughs> subtle, isn't it? I think sometimes, like you say, people can have this view of, oh, I don't need to learn how to manage my time or, you know, I don't need to be more organized or, you know, people have a bit of a defensive reaction to that stuff. But yeah, actually the, the subtle little changes can can bring out the most profound shifts, I think. You know, the smallest little habits that you change or just the way that you 
think about something in your brain you know just just the narrative yeah. you have with yourself sometimes those really small things can make the biggest difference they really can and I think you know very often you know particularly if you're you're talking to a journalist or somebody who's looking to you know come on a course they say well what's the one thing I can mm. do and it's like well sadly there isn't just one thing yeah. there's, there's lots of little yeah. things you know and, and those things build up and and make it all start to feel easier yeah, that's one of the things I say quite a lot in keynotes is there is no secret source to productivity. But if there is, if there was a secret source to productivity, <laughs> it would be doing the simple things consistently and well, which is like so yeah. unsexy. Because um, <laughs> everyone wants the software or the secret tool or whatever. And mm. it's like, no, there really isn't one. But there are lots of things that if you just take these things more seriously, just have a huge transformative effect. So there we go. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the book. So we wrote a book, eh? We did. Um, we wrote <laughs> a book over quite a long period of time with lots of stop starts for, uh, we maybe talk later about the the uh, email from our publisher saying, hey, can you rewrite the whole thing for Zoom? Uh, might talk <laughs> about that later. But So it's, take, it's taken a bit of a while just with... Um, uh, the pandemic and everything we didn't want to put this into bookshops that were shut various things like that yep. so um feels like it's been a long time in the mating but in, in the making but let's start with um just how are you feeling about how to fix meetings hitting the shelves yeah it feels kind of surreal actually um so, and like you say yeah we've been working on it for for such a long time um it feels like a long time ago since we kind of sat down and said, right, these are things we want to go in the book and this is how we're going to order them and what's going to yeah. go in what chapter and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm I'm a mixture of kind of nervous and really excited. So I'm looking forward to getting a paper copy in my hands. Yeah, I have this weird relationship with my own bo books, which is that I often don't look at them for months and months on end. I remember for, for there was a good period of about three years where I, I, I just couldn't open Productivity Ninja. I couldn't even look inside oh, wow. it. Um, and I was, I would, you know, give them away at events and sign them and sell them and all this sort of stuff. But I couldn't, I just couldn't open it. I couldn't look at it. Um, but what's nice is just in preparation for this, just opening the, the first proof PDF of how to fix meetings on the screen and going, Oh, it's full of really good stuff, isn't it? Like you sort of, uh, yeah. Like part of your lizard. It's like a book. Yeah, I know, right? Part of your lizard brain reaction, I think, with books is to start um, just really worrying that it's not very good, or start yeah. really worrying that there's nothing in it. And then when you open it and you see, oh, there's this lovely illustration, and there's this, you know, this exercise and this table, and like you start to just see it all fit together, and it's like, oh, this is like a, it's like a proper book. We did a book. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about um, the the whole issue of meetings then. So um, it feels like over the last few years, one of your sort of unofficial um, sort of little roles within Think Productive has sort of become like meetings maven, right? You've sort of become <laughs> the person who is just generally very interested in the, the whole sort of topic of meetings and the process of meetings and techniques to do with meetings. So is that something that you... Uh, were were kind of conscious about and where did that start that sort of having having an interest in how people get together and how people meet yeah I think and that's your really polite way of saying I was nagging you that like we need to do more <laughs> on this stuff right so, <laughs> um, and I think 
you know, when when Matthew came and did the um, the one day course with me and my team in my previous job, uh, you know, we loved it. It was great. It really helped people. But I was going to a lot of meetings. I was going to a lot of meetings. Some of them were internal, but quite a lot of them were external. You know, well, as a, a membership organization, I think it was an idea. Well, if we invite Haley, she's representing like 300 organizations. Then we've consulted with this sector. Yeah. Um, so I was going to quite a lot of organizations, other organizations meetings, things where there, you know, maybe lots of different organizations represented, people wanting to get their different views across. And some of those meetings were were hard work. You know, that they um they're supposed to be an opportunity for people to get together, to collaborate, to share ideas. And there may have been some nuggets of that within those meetings, but a lot of them I think were maybe quite political. Um, a lot of them I don't know if we achieved what we were looking to achieve, but there wasn't clarity around what we were looking to achieve. And then there was one meeting that stood out as being so much better than all the rest. Um, and I started thinking about, well, why is this? Um, and it, it was the person who facilitated the meeting and his expectations and how they were set out. Um, and the bar was just raised. Mm. You know, it was like, well, if you come to this meeting and you take part in this group and this forum, then you will do work outside of the meeting. The meeting yeah. is where we decide what needs to be done and the, the work happens outside of that. Um, and if you weren't pulling your weight, you would expect to have a conversation with this guy about that. And, and, and he was great around that. So I think we did the, um, what was then called Making Meetings Magic, um, the Think Productive Workshop, and started kind of just applying a lot of this logic in different places and really saw some, some changes happening in a really good way yeah. around meeting with other people. Um, and I remember having a conversation with somebody I was due to meet with and she'd sent through this agenda that had like two or three words just on a piece of paper and I was like one of them was volunteering I was like okay well I have a whole team I've got like six or seven people working on different projects around volunteering they each manage a team of volunteers who are supporting that work like what aspect of volunteering do you want to talk about it's a bit like so, that scene in the I office where um David Brent is doing the appraisals and he's got big Keith and he says to big Keith um under strengths you've written accounts and he's like, but that's your job. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Volunteering. It was exactly like that. Yeah. So I, I picked up the phone. And I was like, tell me what you need to know. Because like my whole whole world is volunteering. Like, you, what, do you, what do you need to know? Yeah. What, what do you want to understand? What do you want me to share with you? Um, and we had like a five, ten minutes maximum conversation. Um, but then when it came to the meeting, like, you know, everything worked really well and she was like that was a really good meeting it didn't take us anywhere near the hour that we'd got in the calendar to do that um and it was just kind of like, oh there's something here there's something yeah. about the way we're doing these meeting things that that aren't working for a lot of people um and i, I think that that's interesting i'm sure lots of people go to meetings where they come out of it and they kind of think oh what what just happened what what did we do what did we achieve yeah for sure i I think I was really lucky early in my career to work with, you know, people like Martin Farrell, who uh, was a facilitator who, who did a lot of work with, you know, the UN on climate change and um, big, you know, sort of multilateral talks for the Fair Trade Foundation and all this sort of stuff. And he was one of my trustees when I ran Student Volunteering England. And so if ever we had big, you know, big, uh, you know, meetings or get togethers or whatever, we would always bring him in as the facilitator, often pro bono. He was, he was just doing it 
um, just as a, a, a great way of sharing his expertise. But watching him work was like watching a magician, you know, and just the way things would feel stuck and then he'd suddenly pull this rabbit out of the hat or just he just seemed to have this this real knack <laughs> of of like finding the route through through these difficult conversations. And of course, like a lot of that is um, a lot of that is experience, but also a lot of that is forward planning and having having a toolkit mm. of stuff in the back of your head. Here's what I'll do if this happens. If this happens, this is what I'll do. You know, just just playing out some of those scenarios, having those those preparatory, you know, conversations with people beforehand, you know, just trying to get them in the headspace of, of how they might resolve differences and stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I've just been really lucky over the years and not just Martin as well, but, um, you know, people like Fiona Dore, who used to run YouthNet, was incredible um, in the way that she ran meetings. And she was very influenced by Nancy Klein, who um, I think, you know, some of her, you know, sort of techniques and ideas are, are definitely an influence on this book as well, right? In terms of our book, How Absolutely, to Fix Meetings. Yeah. So I think I was just quite lucky to, like you, see that contrast between people who were just doing meetings in a way that just felt really meaningful and that really promoted this idea of human connection. And then, you know, you contrast that with the terrible meetings that you're at, and I've been at plenty of those. You know, you can really see that this is a really <laughs> important topic, right? Yeah, and I, I think it, when you go to those two different types of meetings, the contrast is really clear. And I think it's not until you you take a step back and you kind of try and reflect on, well, well why is that like that? And, you know, I'm in the meeting that's not going so well. I'm part of that problem. Yeah. Um, but equally, I'm, I'm contributing yeah. the meeting that is different and feels more energetic. So you know, how, how do I up my game, even if I'm not the organiser or not the um, person responsible for the agenda setting and all that other stuff that goes yeah. with it so the book's called how to fix meetings we should probably talk with why start with why it needs fixing and um talk about what's broken so what do you think is what do you think is broken about meetings i speak to so many of our clients who will say oh yeah i've i've just got back-to-back -back meetings i've got too many meetings i can't get the work done because i'm in meetings all day um and then you know, you look at people's calendars and like literally they are in meetings all day. You know, they're they're back to back. And particularly people who are more senior in organizations will say, Well, I spend all day in meetings and I have to work in the evening at the weekends to get the work done. And it's like, mm. well, that's not sustainable. Yeah. You know, that that's that's not gonna work. That doesn't help those people to make the best decisions. It doesn't help them to do their best work. So I think there's there's something that's that's broken around just the volume of meetings that, that people go to. But we've also created this culture in the world of work where anybody who's got anything to do with what's being talked about gets invited yeah. to the meeting. Yeah. And the culture is, you know, you receive a meeting invitation and you're like, oh, right, okay, can I go? If I haven't got another meeting, I'll go. Whereas sometimes when you say to people, well, do you need to be at that meeting? What are you going to get out of it? Why, why are you attending? Why is you know, this other person over here not attending? And they're like, oh, I don't know, I was invited. Mm. If I was invited, I'll go. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that's that's broken. And this idea of you, know, you turn up to a meeting and it's the chair's job to make the meeting work yeah, well. Yeah, right. I remember doing a, 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 
our fixing meeting session um, with a group of people and one of the big reflections that lots of them took away at the end was like, actually, yeah, I have a role to play. Even if I'm not the person chairing the meeting, I still have you know, part of the responsibility for making that meeting work well is me as a participant, as somebody who's mm. showing up. It's like even with... Even when it comes to shit meetings, silence is complicit, right? Like if you're if you're just going yeah, along with yeah. it and you know it you know it's rubbish, then you know, you're part of the problem too. Um and what yeah, about numbers wise? So you know, just thinking about the cost, I, I just sometimes I find myself when I'm, you know, walking through the floor of an organization or whatever and like I just sometimes just I can almost like see in my head the the kind of numbers or the 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 sort of power of of you know just how much how much money is being spent on this office space on this person on this and on the and you can kind of just see that money just kind of kind of walking around sometimes when you when you walk into um offices and organizations and I think never is that more apparent than if you start to just go around the table and think about how much people are being paid to sit there and how much this how much this collection of decisions that are not being made is actually costing right yeah yeah so i think we worked out didn't we if you've got so four people um and they're in meetings for 10 hours a week by the time you work that out for the cost per year that's around 25k you know you're starting to get towards the cost yeah, of somebody's salary yeah. So, you know, if people are kind of sitting there and they're saying, oh, yeah, well, we're not getting enough done. We need more people to come and help. You know, maybe actually, you know, you need less meetings so that you've got more work outside of, of that yeah. to get done. And so one of the big, which probably leads us quite nicely onto one of the big models in the book, which I'm really, I'm really excited to share this with people because I think if we can get this, if we can get this mindset over to people, I think it could make a big difference. But the yin and yang of meetings... So do you want to explain what the yin and yang of meetings is? Yeah, so um, yin and yang being kind of opposing forces, right? They're, they're the opposite to each other. Um, but if you think about that yin and yang diagram that I'm sure everybody's familiar with, you've got like a little seed of, of one in the other. So there's a little white dot in the black section and, and vice versa. Um, so the, the yin being the, the desire to collaborate, the desire for everybody to have their say, um it, it's everybody being able to articulate what they think and you know that takes time you know the people who are more yang orientated towards the yang side of things are probably you know look at their watch when we're falling behind mm. the agenda we're not on schedule here um so that that yang is the the wanting to keep to time wanting things to be succinct focusing on the task whereas the yin is more well how's everybody feeling about yeah. this um and you need a bit of both for things to work. You need those things to be in balance. You can't have a meeting. You know, a meeting that's all yin is probably more of a, a therapy session and a meeting that's all yang is is maybe not getting to the, the root of the issue. So it's it's about looking for balance, isn't it, between those yeah. two things. And I think some people's style is perhaps more yin or more yang. People might talk about some of the specific meetings they go to. They might say, oh, that's more of a yang meeting and this one's more of a yin uh, so thinking about how you bring those two things together in a way that's um, that has some balance between those two different yeah opposites. and so I love those I love those kind of opposing um, energies so you know the yin energy which for me is very much you know reflective 
um, you know, listening, trying to be in tune with what's around mm. you, you know, generalist. And then Yang is very much more like specific action structure, you know, go, go, go. And I think it's really important to have both of those within a meeting. But it's also really important to think about, as we talk about in the book, the idea of Yang also being just get on with it, just get out of it. Don't be in a meeting in the first place. And so like what I'm really hoping is that people can get into this model as a, as a way of saying, actually, we need to create more Yang time in organizations and just cut down on the number of meetings. Um, and we've got some nice little um, exercises and uh, sort of mindsets within the book, which I hope will help people to delete some of the meetings that they're attending and, and start to sort of clear some space. But I love the idea that we can, when we do get together, we can make meetings, we can make meetings rarer. But then when we do get together, we can actually use that to really profoundly connect and share attention. I think that's the thing about a good meeting is that good meetings are one of the last places where humans very generously come together and share their attention with each other, right? And it just, just the, the way our attention is so fragmented now, I think that's just not to be mm. underestimated, like the, the importance of that and how profound that can be. But then also we need to, to you know, actually have the time to do um, stuff off the back of that as well. Which maybe leads us quite nicely on to the 40-20-40 model. Because that's the whole thing about when you're in back-to-back -back meetings is that you're totally in opposition to the 40-20-40 model. Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So the 40-20-40, the, the idea is you spend 40% of your energy, your, your time, your effort on planning and preparing for the meeting. The meeting itself takes up 20% of the time um, and 40% on the actions, the follow through, the reflecting, like how did how did this meeting work? What do we want to do differently next time? And that's not to say you only give the actual meeting 20% of your attention. Um, so just want to be clear on that because people mm. have asked that before. Um, so if you think about you know, the whole meeting experience and, and what you're meeting to discuss on that issue, that that's the kind of the balance that, that we would suggest. So I think I'll be honest and put my hands up and say before I came across this idea, um, I probably spent five percent of my effort thinking yeah. about the meeting beforehand, like eighty-five, ninety percent in the meeting, and then maybe another five or ten percent afterwards. Um, so that example I talked about before, when I was given a, an agenda with three words on and just picked <laughs> up the phone and said, "Look, what are we looking to achieve here?" That's part of that forty percent beforehand, so that you know, you can do that planning, that preparation, that understanding what what you're looking to achieve before the meeting and that makes the meeting itself so much more yeah. effective you know if you think about meetings where you know maybe you're looking to solve a problem if you can articulate and share with everybody the data and the information about what the problem is beforehand then everybody comes to the meeting in the same place with the same understanding to look to mm. solve that problem Whereas if you say, look, we've got a problem and maybe not everybody's on board with the fact that there is a problem. Maybe some people haven't seen the data and don't quite know what it is that you're looking to achieve or, or why a change needs to be made. And you can spend most of the meeting getting people on board with that. So just kind of thinking about how we do some of that beforehand. How do we make the meeting itself effective? Um, and then how do we reflect on it afterwards? How do we say, well, you know, what worked well, what didn't? But making that, that meeting really action-orientated 
asked because unless it's a deliberate decision at the meeting like okay we've discussed mm. this and we're not going to do anything and that's our conclusion most meetings will have actions things that people agree to do or change that needs to be made as a result of all those people coming together and sharing their effort and their attention and if that follow-through doesn't happen like what was the point yeah. of having the meeting and then the you end up you know a month later having another meeting to recap the things that were decided before and no one's done anything about absolutely um what can people yeah. do to just make the follow-through of meetings much more effective so how can people uh use their behavior in the meeting to really drive that performance and action after the meeting I think it's really good to be clear in the meeting, like, what are we going to do? So, yes, we've talked about I said this idea, we've come to these conclusions, but what are we going to do and who's going to take responsibility for doing it? Um, and those people writing down those actions for themselves. You know, I sometimes hear people say, oh, well, I have got mm. actions from that meeting, but nobody's emailed the minutes out yet. So I don't know what they are. It's like, well, you don't need to wait for somebody else to do that. They might not send the minutes out till the day before the next meeting. You know, but you've got actions to do. You, you you need to move that forward. So having clarity on that, um, making that kind of the expectation. Yeah. You know, before we move on from this agenda item, let's just recap on the actions, who's doing what. And I think people often get carried away, don't they? You, know, you, you meet up with maybe the rest of the team in your team meeting. Say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. You know, people say, oh, that's that needs doing. And then actually you get back to your desk and you look at the whole mm. load of work you've got to do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, actually, am I going to do that? So I think some some honesty and understanding around that, but also being able to look at, you know, okay, we've decided in the meeting that we're going to do these things. Which of those are like mission critical? Which of those things like need to happen and they need to happen soon? Which of those things are kind of the icing on the cake? They're a nice to yeah. have if we get around to doing it because they're not all, that going to be equally important yeah there's a couple of things that we share in the book that i think are really important around that one is to ban the use of the word ongoing um when it comes to writing down you know minutes and stuff because it when are they going to do this oh it's just ongoing like i think it's just it's such a cop out and i think when you have woolly vague language you get woolly vague actions right so having a really specific, yeah. you know, time period deadline. And also the other one, which I think is really important, is every action needs an owner. And that being a singular owner. Um, I think as soon as you get into, this is going to be this person and this person, well, suddenly you create, you create the grey area between those two where it probably falls. And so having every action has, you know, a really clear articulated next physical action right which obviously we talk about a lot at think productive but then having an owner yeah um, that's a singular person and a particular deadline i think those are just such simple principles but it's amazing how often they're just not followed right yeah and it, it sounds obvious doesn't it but i think so many people go to so many meetings it's just yeah. easy to to lose that and and to encourage people to think you know okay if i'm taking on this action do i know what my next physical action is you know if i'm taking on responsibility for delivering an outcome do i know when i need to be doing that by yeah. do i know how it's going to be measured yeah. like what does the other one, i think this is an interesting thing because it's it's one of the few examples of where meeting on zoom is actually better than meeting in person but when it comes to the person whose job it is to 
to write the actions from a meeting. The great thing about Zoom is you can have them doing that live and sharing their screen. Um, and the great thing about that, and I remember, I remember watching Martin Farrell do this quite a lot in a lot of his meetings, is that either at the end of the meeting or at the end of the section, like you were saying before, he would recap the actions, but he would get the person whose job it is to send the minutes out afterwards to read them out in the room. And the great thing about that is it gives everybody else the chance to just clarify or or say, actually, I don't think that was quite what we agreed or, you know, and getting that clarity in the room with people and kind of using the minutes um, that that kind of feels like it's a future, you know, after the meeting thing, using that as the device in the meeting to, to drive the clarity, I think is something like I, I do that a lot in my own internal meetings and and just find that like a hugely valuable little um little little kind of you know tip and trick yeah very often i think meetings don't need like long pages of notes with who said what and, and all the kind of the detail of the conversation sometimes yeah, they just need yeah. the action points and it will depend on the meeting you know if it's a board level meeting you probably want more detail than that but if it's a team meeting or project meeting, you know, maybe the actions are enough and somebody doesn't need to spend you know, their effort and attention on typing up exactly who said what because you've captured the actions and yeah. the things that matter the most. Um, you walk the talk quite a lot with this because you're also... Are you, are you still the chair of your uh, school governor's um, board? So you I were... Am. I think you were going to be the acting chair for two months or something, wasn't it? And then they roped you into... it. Be becoming a longer term commitment yeah, yeah that was a year ago. i think i remember saying to you at the time that's never going to be a temporary <laughs> you did yeah yeah definitely um and and i think that's that's an example of um that's yeah. quite a difficult should we just should we just recap because we've got people so listening much. to this all around the world that might not know what school governors mean yeah, so so yeah, you're good point. so you're a parent of a kid who's in that school right um yep so the um in the uk schools that are independent schools no that's the wrong word because they're a different thing schools that are um run by the local authority um and they effectively run their own budgets um they have a what they call a board of governors it's essentially a group of volunteers some of them are parents some of them are not parents um, who are people from the local community who bring together their skills and their expertise. And the idea is that they're responsible for the strategic vision of the school. They're responsible for making sure that that vision is implemented by the, the senior team within the school. So um, it's the equivalent, I guess, of a board of trustees for charity, but with, um, I guess, more yeah. scrutiny, yeah. I suppose. Um and there, there will be a list of like things that you know. These are things the governors have to discuss, either per term or point per year. Um, and it's part of the the role of governors to monitor what's going on in the school and to to give feedback, not to check up on the quality of teaching as such, but to share their observations. You know, if, if we've decided at a strategy level that we need to make, I don't know, teaching of maths a priority. Um, then how mm. is that being implemented? If the head teacher comes to a board meeting and says, oh yes, we're doing a great job with maths, the children are all where they're supposed to be at, yeah. well, what's the evidence for that? Um, so, so the board is about accountability and strategic vision. It's not about the day-to-day yeah. -day operational and stuff. A lot of the stuff that we talk about in the um, book, so you've been implementing that um, within, the within your school governor's board. 
Um, what's been sort of like the reaction to that? How different has that been from what went before culturally? What's it look like in that sort of setting? Because I always think about what we do as more about, you know, business meetings, uh, you know, internally within a culture. And that, that's, that's yeah. quite and, a different and I thing. Think... It's obviously got a statutory sort of legal um, element to it as well, right? Yeah, it has. And I think that that sometimes makes it difficult to get down to the the problem solving, the nitty gritty, the diving deep into stuff. So in terms of that 40, 20, 40, I probably spend a lot more time reading mm. the papers and the data um, before those meetings than the actual meeting itself. So um, yes, I'm involved with planning the agenda, but there's only a certain amount of wiggle room there. There's a whole load of stuff that needs to be on each agenda. Um, and we have a very competent clerk whose role it is to, to make sure we're discussing the things we're supposed to be. Um, so reports are shared before the meeting. Everybody reads those before the meeting. If people have got questions about them, um, we now share those questions with the relevant staff before the meeting so that they can kind of plan and prepare their answers to that, maybe go away, find more information. Um, and they verbally give the answers in the meeting um, so that everybody's receiving the same information because obviously as governors we're all equally responsible mm, it's not like yeah. we're Haley's chair it's it's all her responsibility we all have equal responsibility across that group um so there's loads of stuff that we do before the meeting um the actions that that come out of the meeting are very often actions for the senior team at the school to to take forwards rather than for us as individual governors although there, there will be a few of those so yeah, that, that preparation, that understanding the data and the information that we're looking at, all that happens before the meeting. And I, I probably spend probably 40, 50% of my time and effort mm. on, on reading up on, on, on that stuff and understanding it so that everybody that's coming to the meeting has had the same information. They've had a chance to ask questions. They've understood that. Um, and that does make the meetings flow much better. Yeah. I mean, we would be there for hours and hours. Well, that's often the, that. the stereotype, isn't it, of, of things like school governors meetings and charity trustee boards and stuff is that, you know, it starts at 6pm and finishes at about midnight and, you know, everyone's just kind of on coffee fumes and biscuits by the end of it sort of thing. Um, so, And it's been interesting doing those mm, meetings in the last yeah. year online, you know, because they're, um, you know, We've still got the same amount of time to to deal with stuff that that we had before, um, but I do think it. You know, a couple of people commented afterwards, like, "Oh, this online meeting yeah. thing isn't as bad as." Have I you had any Jackie thing, Weaver you know? moments? So, you know, one of the other. <laughs> oh no, no! I've got a great group of governors, <laughs> so we've not had any of that. But um, you know, just things like mm. getting everybody to say something at the beginning of the meeting. Yeah, you know, so that everybody, um, you know, if there's new people there, people who haven't been to the meeting before, it's about introductions. But just as a way to yeah. connect with each other on a, a human level uh, before the meeting gets started, so everybody gets used to speaking and saying something. I think that's important on any meeting, but especially when it's on camera and people might. Yeah, not be for sure, that's one of those things that, that. So I learned this um, from, I guess, from Martin Farrell and from Fiona Dore, um, but it's one of the Nancy Klein thinking environment things right it's the opening round and yeah she talks a lot about arrival so uh when you when you arrive in the in the room for a meeting or when you arrive on zoom that's not your arrival your arrival is when you've kind of settled you know mentally and you've kind of orientated and you understand who else is in the room and and have that little bit of connection with everybody 
and so she basically talks about um you know you ask you ask questions at the beginning and everybody responds so that you begin with a positive reality so the one i generally do is um how are you feeling right now and then just say one thing that's going well and you find sometimes people have a really obvious yeah. work win that they want to share and other times it's like oh you know my kids back in school it's really good you know just it's just like a, a personal thing but the thing is everybody's an expert in their own life so no one can get that wrong and there's something about being able to contribute early on in the meeting which is uncontroversial where you reliably just can't make a mistake with it it just kind of settles everybody down i think and um, yeah. just creates that space where like you say if if then later in the meeting there's something that you really is like a burning issue and you really should be saying something if you didn't speak at the beginning and th this was going to be the f first thing you were going to say then that just becomes more awkward right it just adds a, a kind of heightened nervousness to it and we We've all been in those meetings where we might be Definitely. the one person who disagrees and it feels like everyone else has got it wrong, but we just stay silent because we're worried about being judged. And I think that opening round, because it breaks the seal, it really helps to encourage that more healthy dialogue at the points where it really matters, you know, when it comes to uh, challenging groupthink or throwing in a, an unusual idea uh, or just being brave in whatever the, the circumstances. Yeah, and I think if somebody's kind of thinking, oh, I, I want to disagree, I, I, I'm not too sure what to say. The fact that yeah. they've already spoken and they've already contributed something, I think does make that a little bit easier. Um, and I think it's very rare for somebody to say something and put put that out there and then for people to just dismiss it and say, no, that's not a thing. You know, I think whenever somebody does that, that's yeah. where the really good yeah. conversation in a meeting can sometimes happen. You know, somebody just being brave enough to say, actually are we going down the right track here what about this mm. other thing over here we haven't taken that into account and then everybody be like oh yeah yeah, that's yeah i've been thinking about that a lot just generally recently about how we have we've sort of lost the ability for healthy disagreement right just i think you know just the way people yeah. view social media and and all these other things it just feels like we've got to a stage now where we we're, we're we're only really comfortable if everybody agrees and i think it's it's actually a really it's a healthy thing isn't it to have that tension and to have that disagreement and to to hear different sides of an argument and kind of interrogate interrogate positions because i think then you end up getting to somewhere yeah. that might be slightly better you know yeah i think you i think you nearly always end up at a better place um, and that's interesting. I was having a conversation with my eight-year-old. My partner and I were not arguing, but disagreeing about something. And he was like, yeah, oh, stop okay. it. I was like, people are allowed to disagree. Yeah. It doesn't mean they don't like each other or they don't love each other anymore. Mm. But yeah, we're allowed to have a different opinion and we should be able to express that. And, <laughs> yeah, I found that very confusing. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it really applies in the meeting. Like, you know, and that's the thing about you know, being an yeah. engaged participant, right? You, you don't have to just go with the status quo and just agree with what people are, are saying like you're there you've been invited to the meeting to offer your your skills your expertise your perspective and your insight so you yeah. kind of have a responsibility to do that like otherwise Absolutely. what's the point of being there um, you may as well have i just wanted to pick out a couple of other things from the book that might just be useful for people so um let's talk about beware of the hippo so uh, tell us why hippos have a, yeah. have a place in this book So hippo being the highest paid person's opinion, 
and when delivering our fixing meetings workshop everybody then always looks at like whoever the highest paid person in the room is because everybody always knows who it is um there might be some exceptions there might be sometimes where it's the, the project manager for the thing that's being talked about but there'll be somebody in the room whose mm. maybe opinion carries a bit more weight um and research suggests that people will agree with what that person's position is and what they're saying <laughs> against all the evidence that might be out there to the contrary so people get into this um maybe it's an expectation maybe it's just a cultural thing in terms of how people behave um but they tend to agree with that person because of who that person is rather yeah. than because of what yeah. they've said and what they're suggesting so one of the things that you can do to, to get around that is you know if i'm facilitating a workshop I will tend to ask that person their views yeah. last. So you get other, everybody else to share their contribution and their thoughts. Um, and what that does is that allows that, that more senior person perhaps to hear everybody else's mm. ideas. There's probably something there that they haven't thought of. Maybe there's somebody else who comes up with the point that they would have made. So it allows somebody else to, to do and say that. Uh, so different tools and techniques for uh, trying to mitigate that impact but if you know that's you you know if you're in a meeting and you know that you're uh you're the senior person uh take a step back let others go first so that you get a richer uh, yeah and coming back to the group thing, conversation thing that we talked about before and the danger of group think part of this is about anchoring in a in a cognitive bias sense isn't it so let's say you ask the most influential person in the room which generally is the most highly paid not always but you know, the person who has that sort of sense of ownership if you ask them first everybody else's opinion yeah. let's say it's a number you know it's like how much budget should we use for this thing or whatever and if if the anchor is the highest paid person in the room saying it needs to be 100k then everyone else will sort of use that and deviate you know slightly above or slightly yeah. below 100k so one of the things we talk about in the book is um the idea of when it comes to to voting or when it comes to estimate uh kind of contributions get everyone to do that silently on paper first so in the room okay everybody just spend a minute um you know just come up with your thoughts on what this should look like and then everyone's committed because they've written it down so they can't anchor to the thing that you know is about to be said by that person of of greater influence so that's a technique that i've used i've used before is like you just get people to yeah to actually just come up with it on their own first and sort of think independently of the anchor And I think that's it's a good technique to use, not not just um, to mitigate that kind of highest paid person, but sometimes you've got a discussion that's dominated by one or two people. Yeah. So this is a more equitable way for people to contribute, right? So if you're doing it physically in the room, you can do that on post-it notes. Um, if you're doing it on an online meeting, there, there are still tools where you can use post-it notes or you can use the chat. Um, so you can ask people to kind of commit to their thoughts um, this idea of kind of getting people to think about it before it's discussed uh that silent meeting kind of model so you know, it's important that when you're doing that everybody knows who's in the meeting everybody knows who's who you get together i think we did a yeah. silent meeting for yeah. one of the focus groups didn't we for an early version of the book um and everybody got together on camera and shared who they were and what had brought them there and then we had three or four questions that we asked people who had read the book to answer and that was just on a um an online document and people went online and they typed in their answers and then uh we as the people hosting that meeting because actually 
there's agreement and consensus on that issue. We don't need to delve deeper into that. We, we understand the points that are being made, but we're not too sure about what people are saying here and there's some difference of opinions. We really want to talk about that and understand a bit more about what that issue is. Uh, and I think that's just a really um, neat way for, for managing um, that anchoring but also for people having a uh, a more equitable conversation where everybody gets the same yeah. opportunity um, to, to... The other one I really wanted to talk about is the idea of purpose statements. Because I think this comes back to the idea of 40-20-40 and preparing proper, properly and preparing with clarity. So um, tell us about purpose statements and what they are and why they're important. Yeah, so for each meeting to have like a, a sentence or two that says this is what we're trying to achieve. So we're looking to make a decision uh, or we're identifying a way forwards with this issue. Uh, we want to come up with an action plan. So how do you know when you're finished? And that's not by looking at the clock. That's by saying, right, this is the output we want this meeting to achieve. This is um, what we want to achieve a consensus on. So things like you know, if it's a monthly team meeting you don't want your purpose statement to be you know to share information and get together as a team like each meeting is going to have you're going to be discussing different things potentially so some clarity on you know in march's meeting the this is the outcome this is the output that we're looking for um and i think it's actually really helpful to break the agenda down to have a purpose for each agenda item why are we discussing this so it might be well we're, we're discussing the problem we're outlining what the issues are and we're articulating that with a view to you know, yeah. coming up with a solution. You hear your dog in the background um, want, wanting to come and, yeah, uh, come, come and uh, <laughs> add their input to the meeting as well. Um, so um, let's pick one or two more then before we finish. I suppose one of the things that a lot of people will be thinking is, okay, so it's all very well having good structures, but then how do I deal with you know, the annoying uh, person in the room who just talks too much. So you're, you're, in, you're in a meeting, um, you're the chair, maybe you're not even the chair, but how do you deal with when you have one person really dominating the, the airwaves? So I think, like you said, it doesn't have to be the chair who deals with that, right? It, it can be anybody who deals with that. And I'm sure you know there are times where I've probably been that person. I'm, I'm sure there are times where people listening recognize that in themselves as well. Um, but I think it can be great to be able to say, well, actually, mm. we've not heard from Graham. Graham, what do you think? You know, to, to ask somebody to contribute, to maybe say, maybe even set a timer and say, right, can we hear what everybody thinks? Just one minute. Where are we all at on this issue or 30 seconds? Uh, just to kind of take people's temperature and see where they're yeah. at. That gets everybody talking. Um, it makes it clear that only one person can talk at a time. And then you might say, well, yeah, okay, this person over here, uh, you know, maybe, Elena, you've got a, a different take on this to, to other people. Tell us a bit more about that. So it allows um, either the person who's chairing the meeting or even the person who's talking too much, it maybe gives them a signal mm. that actually we need to hear from, from some other people. So I think anybody in a meeting can do that. They can just say, yeah, I understand your point. What you're saying is, is this. You can briefly paraphrase what's being said. Does anybody else have a different opinion? Yeah. Because that's what we want to be searching for. We, we want to say, yeah, where, where's the difference of opinion? How do we hear? Yeah, I mean, there's so much more in the book that we've not talked about as well. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's wrap this up and start thinking about 
where people can find out more and obviously we want people to go and pre-order the book right so um tell us how we can do that yep so yep book comes out on the yeah, 13th of it's May. the 13th of May. It, it's it's changed about three times, hasn't yeah, yeah, it? In, like in the May. last month, due due to apparently it there's has. quite a lot of <laughs> backlog of printing in um, a lot of the the publishers' print houses because of COVID. So it's yeah, they they literally couldn't print it fast enough, basically. But yes, it's thir- yeah. 13th of May. We're out. <laughs> and you know, hopefully by then people will be able to meet again in person. But the book covers you know all the stuff we're talking about in the book. It applies to whether you're meeting online. It applies to whether you're meeting in person. Um, so you, you you can order that from all the usual places, Amazon. Um, it's called How to Fix Meetings. Uh, there's an audio book as well. So that will be available. Um, yes. That's my job to tell everyone to do that. We'll put the links in the show notes. There you go. You've done my job get for me. that at the moment. <laughs> um, and then if you're interested in meetings, workshops for your team, um, that's something we do as well. So depending on when you're listening to this, I know there are some dates coming up in April and May uh, where Graham and I are doing a couple of free webinars to talk a bit about, about meetings. Yeah. Um, or we can come in and work with your team. So we'll put all the links to those in the show notes. And um, yeah, it was good that you mentioned there that we we have made this deliberately a book that will, because it's about how to how to share and how to manage attention in group settings. It's as applicable for Zoom as it would be for face to face. We we didn't really tell the story, did we? But like, so we got an email about a week into the pandemic from our publisher saying like, hey, can you rewrite the whole book for Zoom and have it done in about three weeks and all the rest of it. And um, basically I sent a very, very forthright email back saying, "Uh, we've kind of got quite a lot on our plate right now. We've already (laughs) written this book and it's ready to go. But we did actually go back and do um, quite a lot of adjustments, didn't we, to to make sure that it's as, as applicable as applicable for zoom as it is for face-to-face i think so many of these as principles are you know i mean the principle's the same it's just the the medium of face-to-face or the medium of zoom is is, yeah, is different absolutely. So a lot of it didn't really need to be changed but we did make quite a few uh alterations off the back of that to make sure that we're a bit more in tune with the kind of i think the hybrid uh model of working that will be become the norm um over the next you know two or three years i guess yep Cool. Uh, Hayley, is there anything else you want to say before we finish? Cool. Uh, well, it's been great having so. you on Beyond no, Busy. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, as I said at the beginning, it's always like, uh, I always feel more uh, nerve wracking doing this when it's people that I know really well. Um, but yeah, um, just to say thanks for beyond, being on Beyond Busy. And uh, yeah, it, it's been just a real pleasure. Pleasure collaborating with you on this book actually and just um i feel like we've we've worked really well together in the um the kind of process of writing it and uh now is the fun part because we get to actually just continue that by by sharing it with lots of people so i'm really excited and uh (laughs) yeah really looking forward to sharing it with people so thanks for thanks for sharing it with us today so thanks to Haley for being on the show. Should also just send a thanks and shout out to my producer Riz and also to Emily for all her help with guest bookings and 
everyone at Think Productive are sponsors for the show. So if you want to check out more about Think Productive and a lot of the stuff that Haley was talking about in the episode, just go to thinkproductive.com. And as ever, you'll find show notes and all the links to the previous episodes over at getbeyondbusy.com as well. Um, the final thing I want to say is that obviously that episode was recorded to celebrate and mark the launch of How to Fix Meetings, um, which is a really special book. I'm really happy with how it's come out. It was great working with Haley. She was she was immense to work with, and you know often it was um, me, the the seasoned you know five time author. Uh, that was missing deadlines and she was the one hitting them so I have to you know just give her props for keeping me on track with that Um, but yeah I'm really pleased with how the books come out so I would love you to go and get a copy I said this on a podcast a few weeks ago I said um, we put all of this stuff out for free and we have no intention of charging for it we have no intention of um, adding adverts into this and kind of ruining the experience for the sake of a few quid But what that means is I would love you when we do have a book coming out to just go and buy a copy. It would just be a really nice way to, you know, to just kind of help us fund um, all the work that we put into Beyond Busy. So go and buy a copy of How to Fix Meetings if you are able to. And we would really appreciate it. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from bookshop.org and links to all of that. If you just go to uh, grahamalcott.com forward slash links, um, there'll be some links there for how to get a copy of the book. And just help us along, would you? That would be lovely. Um, We'd just really appreciate that. So um, please do that. And when I said that a few weeks ago, a couple of people actually tagged me in on posts on LinkedIn saying, hey, I've just, I heard your thing and I've just gone and bought Productivity Ninja for the first time. And I'm like, yes, cool. Uh, So feel free to tag me in if you have bought a copy of the book and also just share it around with people that you know as well. Um, We'd love to just help give that book a boost i really believe in it i think it's it's much needed right now as people kind of you know mix this kind of hybrid of zoom meetings and also being back in offices and sort of sussing out how to do face-to-face meetings well again so please go and buy a copy of how to fix meetings and we will be eternally grateful for your help in giving it a push in these early stages it's so so important that first kind of few weeks of it being out so please please do that We'll be back with another episode next week. As ever, we're going to have a break over the summer, actually, but we'll be weekly until the school summer holidays in July and some really interesting guests lined up over the next um, two or three weeks as well. So uh, strap in and make sure you're subscribed and following the podcast and we'll see you next week. Until then, take care and bye for now.